Amen. All right, well, we're there in Esther chapter number 10. And if you're visiting with us, it might seem like an odd passage to go to on Easter Sunday. But we have been going through a series on Sunday mornings called For Such a Time as This. And it's been a verse-by-verse study through the book of Esther. And we find ourselves in chapter number 10 this morning. And for all intents and purposes, the series through the book of Esther is done. The reason that we are finishing up chapter 10 this morning is because, as you notice, it's a very short chapter. It's only three verses. And there's actually a tie-in in the book of Esther to uh, the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to spend uh, Easter with Esther this morning, if that's all right. And I'd like you to notice how the book of Esther ends. This morning we are concluding uh, the book of Esther, and of course, next week we'll begin a brand new series called Anger Management. But if you look at Esther chapter 10 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And the king of Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. Now, I'd like you to notice that the way that the book of Esther ends, it ends with Mordecai on top and his enemies defeated. And I don't have time to re-preach the entire book of Esther for you. I would encourage you to look it up on our website or YouTube channel as we've gone very thoroughly through the book. Notice verse number two, it says, And all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and a great among the Jews." And accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Go back to Esther chapter 9, if you would. If you remember in the book of Esther, we have this man Mordecai. And he was a man who refused to bow the knee to the second most powerful man in the kingdom, a man by the name of Haman. And Haman decided to wage war not just on Mordecai, but on Mordecai's people. And he decided to try to kill the Jews. And of course, through the providence of God, as we've seen the unseen hand of God in the book of Esther, we see that God moved uh, Mordecai and Esther, who is his cousin that was an orphan and he adopted as a father. He moved them and positioned Esther to come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And again, without going into the whole story of Esther, we saw God move in the story, and what has happened is he's turned the tables. He's allowed Mordecai to be on top, and Haman has now been destroyed. Haman has been hanged, and the Jews have defended themselves. And when we end the book of Mordecai, we see the opposite of how the book uh, began. When we end the book of Esther, we see the opposite of how the book began. The book began with Haman on top and Mordecai uh, uh, in in uh, in the low state, and the book ends with Mordecai on top and Haman defeated. And it is a phrase that is often used in our in our language today to describe this is turning the tables. This is what we see at the end of the book of Esther, that the tables have been turned. God has turned the tables upon Mordecai and Haman. Let me read to you a description of turning the tables. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, if you turn the tables on someone, it is generally understood that you have reversed the fortunes in your favor to some capacity, so as to reverse one's position relative to someone else, especially by turning a position of disadvantage into one of advantage. 
figuratively, if you wanted to win, you would turn the tables. And the term actually comes from board games. When someone is playing a board game and they are on the losing end of that game, they need to really turn the tables in order to turn their fortunes to be able to win. This is what happens. This is what we see at the end of the book of Esther. Go, You're there in Esther chapter 9. I'd like you to notice that the wording of the book of Esther is a wording of turning the tables. It is a wording of turn of a turnaround that has happened in the nation. Esther chapter 9, look at verse 1. The Bible says this, Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the month, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, notice these words, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hope to have power over them. If you remember, Haman set up a day in which the enemies of the Jews were going to be allowed to go and kill the Jews and have no repercussions. In fact, be assisted by the resources of the government. And in that day that the enemies of the Jews hope to have power over them, but notice the parentheses in the Word of God and notice the wording, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. See, God turned the tables for his people in the book of Esther. Go to verse 22, same chapter, Esther chapter 9, verse 22. As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was, notice the word, turned unto them from sorrow to joy. There was a day that was supposed to be a day of sorrow, but God turned the tables and it became a day of joy. Notice, and from morning into a good day. There was a day that was to be a day of mourning, a day of sadness, a day of sorrow, but God turned the tables for his people and it became a good day that they should make them days of feastings and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. While you turn there, let me read to you from the book of Judges. See, the Bible is actually filled with these great turnaround, comeback, turning the table type stories. We find them all throughout the Bible. In fact, there's actually a biblical term for this. There is a term for what we call a comeback, what we call a turnaround, what we call turning the tables. There's actually a term in the Bible set aside to explain this phenomena when God does it for His people. You're going to Ephesians. Let me read to you from Judges chapter 5 and verse 12. Judges 5, 12 is the first time we see this phrase. It says, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. We see this phrase in the Bible come up from time to time. Lead thy captivity captive. And that is actually the biblical way of saying, turn the tables. The idea is that the one who was held captive has now turned the tables and is leading captive the one that held him captive. The one that was oppressing you, the one that was causing sorrow to you, the one that was causing harm to you, the tables have been turned and now we are leading captive those that led us captive. See, there are great stories in the Bible and I could take, I won't take the time this morning, we could preach a whole series on it, but there are great stories in the Bible 
with this idea of turning the tables, this idea of turning things around, of uh, having a comeback, of leading thy captivity captive. One of the most famous stories in the Bible regarding this is actually a story that parallels the book of Esther. We've brought it up several times as we've been studying the book of Esther, and it is the story of Joseph. I won't have you turn there for sake of time, but if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph, as a 17-year-old boy, was sold into slavery by his own brothers. His brothers hated him. They envied him, and they sold him into slavery, as in the same way that Esther, a series of unfortunate events, brought Joseph into the kingdom. He was uh, sold into slavery into Potiphar's house. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. He was forgotten in prison after he helped the butler, but eventually God brought Joseph out of the prison into the palace, and Joseph ended up becoming the second most powerful man on earth at the time as the second most powerful man in Egypt. And then God turned the tables. A famine came, and his brothers came to beg for food in Egypt. And due to the famine, they had to bow themselves to the man in charge of distributing the food, the second most powerful man in Egypt, Joseph. When Joseph meets his brothers, decades later, the tables have been turned. This is what we see in the book of Esther. This is what we read about in the book of Judges. God will often do this thing where he will lead captivity captive. God will turn the tables. God will give his people a turnaround. God will uh, allow the tables to be turned. Even in the secular world, we love to hear about great turnaround stories. Sports teams are filled with stories where they were able to turn the tables and there's all sorts of military stories about battles where the tables have been turned. Even in the business world, there's lots of stories. I like to read a lot of business books and, 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 and learn uh, uh, things from, from the business world that can be applied into church life. And even in the business world, there's lots of great turnaround stories. People love to read the story of Lee Iacocca who was ruthlessly and embarrassingly fired from Ford Motor Company by Henry Ford II, and he turned the tables around, and he got his revenge by going to the competitor, Chrysler Motor Company, and reviving a dying company, and growing it to be one of the most successful car manufacturing companies in the world, and competing against Ford, uh, the, the people that really sidelined a career that, uh, that was going well for him. People like to read the stories of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs built a successful business called Apple. And then he was ousted and fired by his own board of directors and let go. Steve Jobs went on to uh, start another company called Next, a successful company. He also started another company you've probably heard of called Pixar, a successful company. And years later, when Apple felt the need to buy out their number one competitor, Next, Steve Jobs came with the deal. And Steve Jobs eventually retook control of Apple, which at that time was failing, and turned it into the most profitable company, one of the most profitable companies in modern history. And we read about these stories because people like to read about the turnaround stories, the turning the table stories. 
where the underdog takes the upper hand, where God moves in and God uh, takes control and God allows that and which was led captive to lead captivity captive. But I would submit to you this morning that the greatest of the turnaround stories, the greatest comeback story ever told, the greatest turning the table stories in the Bible is the story of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, I'd like you to notice that this term, he led captivity captive, is actually used of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he, referring to Christ, saith, notice what he says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus was led captive, but then he turned the tables. Then God turned the tables and he led captivity captive. Go to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 26, first book in the New Testament. Matthew 22. Do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in Matthew because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. I'd like to remind you this Easter morning of this great great turnaround story, this turning of the tables by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, of course, in order for Christ to die, uh, resurrect, he first had to die. And as you study the Bible, you'll find that the official reason for Jesus' death sentence, because if you remember, Jesus was not just killed, he was put to death. There was a trial, and they, they executed him. They sentenced him to death. And the official reason for Jesus' death, why is it that Jesus died on the cross? Now, we understand spiritually that God had a providential plan, that Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins. But why is it that the two enemies that conspired together to crucify our Savior, the temple, which was ran by the Jews, and the empire, which was ran by the Romans, why did they conspire together to crucify the Lord of glory? What was the reason that they wanted to kill him? And it was because what Jesus claimed about himself. What was the claim? that the temple rejected? What was the claim that the Jews and their religion rejected? Are you there in Matthew 26? Look at verse 63. I'd like us to listen in as Jesus is being tried by the temple. Matthew 26 and verse 63, the Bible says this, But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ. Now the term Christ is a biblical term that means Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is coming. They said, tell us whether thou be the Christ. Then they said this, the Son of God. That is a term of deity. Look at verse 64. Jesus saith unto them, Thou hast said. Notice he doesn't deny it. Notice he doesn't say, no, 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 you got the story wrong. They said, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he said, you got it. You said it. Thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man, referring to himself, sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. I want you to notice that Jesus... Uh, claim was that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Notice the response 
from the Jews. Verse 65. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Verse 66. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Why was it that the temple conspired with the empire to put Jesus to death? Why was it that the Jews were bent on crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, it was because of what he claimed about himself that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Flip over to Matthew chapter 27. Like you notice the claim that the empire did not like about Christ. Because the Roman Empire didn't mind if Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. There was a polytheistic culture. They had many gods. Their problem was not with his deity. It was with his royalty. Notice in Matthew 27 and verse 11, the Bible says this, And Jesus stood before the governor. This is Pilate. Now he's been taken from the court of the temple to the court of the empire. And the governor asked him, saying a very specific question, the thing that he cares about the most, Art thou the king of the Jews? Because Caesar is the emperor of the world. And the Jews cannot have a king. And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, He was asked, are you the king? And he said, you got it. See, Jesus' claim that the empire rejected, that the Romans rejected, was that he was the king of the Jews. In fact, Pilate went out of his way to write on on the cross that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. He was being put to death because he said, I am the king of the Jews. This was something that had been said his entire life. Even the wise men, when they showed up uh, at the time of his uh, birth and childhood, they said, you know, where is he that is born king of the Jews? I want you to understand something. Keep your place there in Matthew. We're going to come back to it. Go to the book of Luke. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke. I want you to understand something about Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something about the events that took place that led us to what we're celebrating this morning Easter, the resurrection of Christ. I said, number one, the official reason for Jesus' death sentence was because, he, was because of what he claimed about himself. I'd like you to notice, secondly, this morning, that the ministry and message of Christ, the ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on the teachings of Christ or even the miracles of Christ. Now, I'm not minimizing the teachings of Christ. Jesus had many wonderful teachings and parables, and I'm not minimizing the miracles of Christ. There's many wonderful stories in the Bible about his miracles, but I want you to understand something, that the ministry and the message of Christ did not hinge on the teachings of Christ or even the miracles of Christ. If it did, then his death would be no problem. In fact, usually in religions, when the leader of the religion dies, the religion does not die, but the uh, religion can be uh, enthusiastic. When, when the religious leader dies and is martyred, then others can carry on that message. If the ministry of Christ hinged upon his teaching and his miracles, there were other men that could have carried on his teachings and could have carried on his miracles. And in fact, there were other men that carried on his teachings and the miracles. But I want you to understand that the ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on the teachings of Christ or the miracles of Christ. It hinged on what Jesus claimed about himself. 
See, Jesus accepted the claim to be king. Are you there in Luke 19? Look at verse 36. Luke chapter 19 and verse 36. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 19. See, Jesus did not come to bring teachings, although he brought his teachings. Jesus did not come to form a movement, although he formed a movement called the local New Testament church. Jesus came to claim himself as Christ, the Son of God. And he accepted that claim. Luke chapter 19, verse 36. And as he, referring to Jesus, went, they spread their clothes in the way. This is, of course, the the famous Palm Sunday before his death and resurrection. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, notice what they said on Palm Sunday, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Notice what they said. People are saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees look at Jesus and they said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. They're saying, Don't allow them to call you king. Look at verse 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. That's a very poetic way. When they said, Master, rebuke thy disciples, that's a very poetic way of Jesus saying, no. (laughs) Why? Because Jesus accepted the claim to be king. Jesus did did not deny the fact that he was the king of the Jews. In fact, he's the king of all nations. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, the Bible says. Not only did Jesus proclaim and accept himself, to be king, Jesus also proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Son of God. Go to John chapter 4 if you would. If you go backwards, you've got the book of Luke. Right before the book of Luke, you have the book of John. John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. Look at verse 25. John chapter 4 and verse 25. This is a famous story of, of Jesus when he met the woman at the well. John chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible says this, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. Notice how the Bible defines itself there for us. Messiah means Christ. Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. She says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Notice, she states her belief in a coming Christ, a coming Messiah. What does Jesus say? Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. See, the emphasis is on Jesus and who Jesus is. This woman ends up getting saved, and as a result, she goes back to her town and brings back men, and they get saved. Notice in the same chapter, verse 42, and said unto the woman, these are the men that came from the city. Now they're speaking to the woman. They said, now we believe, not because of thy sayings, For we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Flip over to John chapter 5, look at verse 18. See, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Son of God. All throughout the Bible, you'll notice that Jesus makes his proclamations of self. He didn't say, I have the way. He said, I am the way. He made proclamations of himself. He proclaimed who he was and what he could do. 
John 5.18 says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, notice, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Go to John chapter 9, if you would. Just flip over a few chapters. John chapter 9. Here we see the example of Jesus proclaiming himself to be the Son of God after he heals the blind man. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him, the blind man, out when he had found him. Jesus heals a blind man, and as a result, he gets thrown out of the temple. When he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, John 9.37, in my opinion, is, is where we see a little bit of the humor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this man had been blind his whole life. And Jesus heals him. And he literally just got his sight back. And Jesus says, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And, and the blind man who now can see says, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Notice verse 37. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him. This guy's like, I haven't seen much. He's like, yeah, but you've seen him. And it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So I'd like you to notice that the ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on the teachings of Christ, though they're invaluable. Did not hinge on the miracles of Christ, though they're amazing. It hinged on what Jesus claimed about himself. See, Jesus accepted the claim of king, and Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Son of God. And that's exactly why the temple and the empire, the Jews and the Romans conspired to put him to death. And by the way, they didn't. And let me just say this. When Jesus died, when Jesus died, the reason that his movement did not continue is because his movement was not hinged on his message. If his movement was hinged on his message, someone else could pick up the message and carry the torch. But what Jesus preached about himself was dependent on him. So when Jesus died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. Matthew 16, if you would, go back to Matthew chapter 16. See, I want you to remember, and I want to remind you, that the ministry of Christ was not characterized by what he did. It was characterized by who he was and who he claimed to be. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 16 verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, notice the, the question that Jesus asked. Because his ministry is hinged on who he is and who he claims to be. He asked this question. He says, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, the ministry of Christ was emphasized uh, and had an emphasis on who Christ was. Go, go back to the book of Luke, if you would. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 24. So when Jesus died, 
Unlike other movements, where when the leader is martyred, the base is energized. Unlike other movements, unlike other religions, when the leader dies, the followers carry on the message. The followers carry on the methods. When Jesus died, that was not possible because the emphasis of the ministry of Christ was on who he was and who he claimed to be. He was the Christ. He was the Son of God. So when Jesus died, everything that his followers believed about him, all their hopes and all their dreams, died with him. This is why we find the followers scared in the New Testament. This is why we find them discouraged. Let me just give you an example. Luke chapter 24. This is two disciples walking down the road of Emmaus. Jesus at this point has actually already resurrected, but they don't know it. I want you to notice how these disciples are doing. Luke 24. Look at verse 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these sayings. Of what sayings? They're talking about the events that have taken place, the death and the death of Christ. They don't know he's resurrected yet, but they know his body is missing. They know the tomb is empty. And they're talking about this, the fact that their leader died and now his body is missing. It says, and they talked together of all these things which happened. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near. The resurrected Christ comes up on the, on the way with them. Notice the last part of verse 15. And went with them. But their eyes were holding. Their eyes were held back that they should not know him. And again here we see a little bit of the humor of Christ. We see the resurrected Christ walking down the road with two of his disciples. Their eyes are holding, the Bible says, so they don't recognize him. A miracle. And notice what he says to them in verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? What? What are you so sad about? And by the way, let me just say this. No one was expecting a resurrection. No one was expecting a resurrected Christ. In fact, when the resurrected Christ shows up, he says, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Look at verse 18. And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? They said, You must be new. You must be new around here. Are you just traveling through? Are you, you, you're not from around these parts, are you? Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Have you not been paying attention? Have you not read a newspaper? Do you not know the things that have happened in the last several days? No, notice the humor of Christ, verse 19. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Notice verse 21. But we trusted. 
Notice they mentioned the fact that he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. But that was not enough. It was not just his words. It was not just his deed. It's what they believed about him. And by the way, salvation has always been what you believe about Christ. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And here they said, they said in verse 21, they said, but we trusted. Now that phrase, we trusted, past term means we are no longer trusting. But we believe, but we're no longer believing, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. They said, we thought he was the Christ. We thought he was the Son of God. We believed the claims about him, but then they killed him. And when he died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. They said there in verse 21, and beside all this, today it is the third day since these things were done. Go to Matthew 28, if you would. Matthew 28. You go backwards, you have Luke, Mark, Matthew. The official reason for Jesus' death sentence was because of what he claimed about himself. The reason for that is because the ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on the teachings of Christ or even the miracles of Christ. It hinged on what Jesus claimed about himself. Jesus accepted the claim to be king. Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Son of God. And when Jesus died, the movement died, the followers went away, they all went astray because when he died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. Because if the whole reason we follow someone is because they're the Son of God, because they're deity, and then they die, we must have been wrong. If the whole reason we follow someone is because they're the Christ, the chosen one, the one who will redeem us, the one who will bring salvation, and then he dies, well, then we must have been wrong. But then, God turns the tables. Then, the Bible tells us Jesus leads captivity captive. Matthew 28, like you notice verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, another Mary, to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Notice verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. By the way, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. See, when Jesus resurrected, everything changed. The resurrection confirmed that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be. The resurrection affirmed the fact that when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he really was the way and the the truth and the life. The resurrection confirmed that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection, 
He really was the resurrection. When he resurrected, he proved that everything he claimed about himself was true. Go back to John. Keep your place there in Matthew 28. John chapter 20. Look at verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24. Remember, his followers, his followers were disappointed at his death. They were discouraged. Everything they believed about Christ died with Christ on the cross. All of them were. I showed you two on the road to Emmaus. Let me show you another one, a very famous one, a disciple by the name of Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus appeared to them in his resurrected body on on the first day of the week in the evening. On a Sunday night service, Jesus showed up and Thomas wasn't there. Look at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see him, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. He said, I already believed. I already put my ca- I cast my lot with him. I already put all my eggs in that basket, not of a movement of Christianity, but of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he died. The man who I believe was my Savior, the man who I believe was the Son of God, the man who I believe was the King of Kings, the man who I believe was royalty. He, you know, everything I believed about him. And then he goes and dies. So if you're going to tell me you saw him, Thomas says, I will not believe. Unless I see it with my own eyes. Verse 26. And after eight days again his disciples were with him. And Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy fingers, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hands, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, notice what he says, my Lord and my God. See, the resurrection, the resurrection affirmed everything that Christ claimed about himself. Verse 29 says this, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Today, most religions make a shrine of the place where their leader is buried. Today, most religions are excited. They make pilgrimages to the place where Muhammad is buried, to the place where Buddha is buried to a place where Confucius is buried. And in fact, when those leaders die, it usually energizes the base to carry on the message of those leaders. With Jesus, this was not possible. Because his ministry did not hinge on what he said. It did not hinge on what he did. It hinged upon who he claimed to be. And when he died, everything he claimed about himself died with him. And his disciples flooded. And they doubted. And they turned. They, 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 they got scared. 
They showed weakness. But when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he led captivity captive. He turned the tables and everything changed. His disciples looked at him and said, my Lord and my God. Matthew 28, look at verse 17. Remember, we saw the story of Mordecai as we began the sermon. We saw Mordecai who started in the book of Esther low and ended high. He turned the tables and led his captivity captive. We saw the story of Joseph who began his story low and ended high. He turned the tables and led his captivity captive. See, Jesus began his story low too. In fact, he began it in a barn in Bethlehem. He began it low and then he was killed. He was crucified and the Jews thought they had victory and the Romans thought they had victory and hell itself thought it had victory. Satan thought he had victory. They had killed the Christ. But he rose from the grave. Up from the grave he arose. Matthew 28 and verse 17, the Bible says this, And when they saw him, this is the resurrected Christ, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Notice what he says. He says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's Jesus' way of saying the tables have turned. The greatest turnaround story the world's ever known. Then he says this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always through the rest of time even unto the end of the world. See, the greatest turnaround story that has ever spread through all the worlds and through all the ages is this story. Jesus is risen from the dead. And New Testament Christianity, real biblical Christianity, does not teach a method, does not teach a message. It is not a to-do list. It is not do this and do that. Get baptized. And we believe in baptism, but we don't say you got to get baptized to be saved. We don't say you got to go to a confessional booth to be saved. We don't say you got to repent of your sins in order to be saved. We don't say you got to do anything to be saved because Christianity is not a thing you do. It is a person you believe in. There is not a way to salvation. There is a man that is the way. He didn't say there is a way. He said, I am the way. And what we celebrate at the resurrection is not a religion, though we have nothing against religion. It is a man who came to this earth and claimed to be the Son of God and claimed to be the Messiah. And said that if you believe on me, your sins will be forgiven. You'll become a new creature. You'll be born again. And when he died, everything he said about himself died with him. And when he resurrected, the tables were turned. This is why Christianity has endured. This is why as you look at these men who were cowards and afraid who were doubters and scared. Peter Peter is afraid of a little 12-year-old girl. Weren't you with the Christ? 
And he denied and said, no, I know not the man. These men who were cowards and afraid at the death of Christ because everything they believed about Christ died with Christ. In the book of Acts, arise as bold preachers of the word of God. Because when Jesus resurrected, their boldness resurrected. This is why these men died for what they believed. This is why these men preached what they believed. This is why we, to this day, celebrate the resurrection of Christ, because it really is the greatest turnaround story ever told. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. We like to read stories in the Old Testament of great battles that were turned, of underdogs who ended up on top. We love to read the story of Joseph, and we've enjoyed studying this book of Esther and learning about Esther and Mordecai. But Lord, help us always to remember that the greatest turnaround, the greatest turning of the tables, the greatest comeback of all history was when the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then he rose from the grave. Help us to put our faith not in things, not in works, but in Christ. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that the resurrection affirmed that he was everything he said about himself. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.